question. Do the people that you and I hang out with truthfully, truthfully, do they make you and I look more like Jesus? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you today, and we first just want to praise you, and we want to thank you for another day. Uh, This is the day that you have made, and we will choose to rejoice and be glad in it, O God. So, Father, no matter what we're dealing with all over this room today, the the heartaches, the disappointments, God, I pray that you would show us here through your word that your grace and your love and your mercy are deeper still. Father, as we yield ourselves to you right now, Lord, we simply confess right now that we need You on every level. There's nothing that we can do apart from You. Nothing. But with You, all things are possible. And so as we bow before You, oh God, I ask, would You bow Your ear down to us right now to hear our prayers, to hear the cries of our hearts, to hear our dire and desperate need for You, that we just cry out together, Lord, I need You. Oh, I need You. Father, what do You have for us today? That's our question we ask You. Father, reveal whatever that might be in this moment. And and then God, give us a heart, a desire, a longing to obey You immediately. Whatever you want us to do, God, make it clear, and then give us courage to obey you immediately. So, Father, grant me your wisdom, your strength. I pray you move me out of the way so that we just see you. And anything and everything that's done here today that is good and holy, We know it's from You. We praise You and we worship You as we fall on our face and say, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that went into that grave. But praise be to the great God of the Bible. Worthy is the Lamb that on the third day conquered sin and death and the grave could not hold our King. Oh, we pray this all in the mighty in the matchless name of King Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at just one verse today, verse 22 of 1 Peter 1. And as you're turning there, we continue to champion the mission. Uh, the mission, as you know, is to give glory to God, to be a disciple of Jesus, that we then go and make disciples of Jesus. And so I pray that that is your mantra for your life, just not for our church, but I pray individually that each one of us say, man, I want to give glory to God. I don't know about you, but don't you want to give glory to God? I want to live a life that gives glory to God. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a truly, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And then I want to make disciples. And I pray that's your mission, your vision as well, because as we think through that thought, our theme, of course, is to be all in in 21. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like this total commitment, total obedience. You take all of that and you sum it up and you weave all the way down to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, in our title of our message today, which is simply this, a question am I obedient to the truth? Ask yourself that right now. Am I, make it very personal, am I obedient to the truth? 
You know, we live in a culture where the culture is trying to do everything it can to diminish the godly role of a husband of a father in the home. The culture knows that if we can disintegrate that godly leadership in the home, that's going to be the one Jenga piece of the puzzle that as you slide it out, the whole house of cards, if you will, comes crashing down. The culture hates the nuclear family. The culture wants to dissolve it. God created it. Matter of fact, it was created before the church, right? Genesis, family, church, book of Acts. But what's interesting is this, is that when you take a bunch of little churches called homes and you remove the pastor from those homes, that godly leadership, what happens then is when the big church gathers together, there's going to be dysfunction. See, it all starts back in the home. The home is the training ground for discipleship. A Sunday and Wednesdays are great add-ons, if you will, that prop up, that encourage, that reinforce. But the home is the training ground for discipleship for our children, for our wives' men. And it's our job as leaders. It's our job. And I don't know if you know this, but if we refuse to do our job, someone else will. Someone else will slide in and begin to do the job. And so we want to be men of the cross of Jesus Christ. We want to be all in for Jesus. I was thinking about that thought and I went back to Numbers chapter 13 and, and there the spies are being sent into the, the land of Canaan and there were 12 spies and And so they send them in, and they go, wow, this place is amazing. There's milk and honey everywhere you look. But there's also some pretty bad dudes there, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Perizzites and the Amorites and the Termites, and on and on they went. Some really bad dudes. And so 12 go in, and two come out, and two go, wait a minute. God has told us He's given us the land. I know that the obstacles look vast. But Caleb and Joshua, they say, no, 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 no. Don't look at the obstacles and how big the obstacles are. Look at God and look how big He is. Oh, we need some Caleb's and Joshua's all over our country today. We need some men that will rise up and say that I'm all in. That they don't see the obstacle, they just see how big God is. And where God leads, He feeds. And where He guides, He provides. And as Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, said, God's work done God's way never lacks God's supply. You say, how does that weave into one verse in 1 Peter 1, 22? Well, here is how I believe it does. In your Bible in front of you, here's what the ESV translation says. 1 Peter 1, 22 Having purified your soul by what? By your obedience to what? The truth. For what? A sincere brotherly love do what? Love one another how? Earnestly from a pure heart. Let me read this one more time. This is deep theological text here that we must embrace as we move forward on mission. Having purified your souls, picture that, by your obedience to what? The truth. For what? A sincere brotherly love. Love one another. How? Earnestly. From a pure heart. Now look at 20 through 21 for our context in your Bible. From last week, he was foreknown when? Before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest, was revealed in the last times, the time between his first and second coming, for the sake of you, who through him are what? Believers in God, committed followers of Christ in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him what? Doxa, gave him glory, so that the why? Your faith and your hope are where? In the world? No. In your bank account? No. Where you live? No. 
what you drive? No, are in what church? In God's. We asked last week, what are your faith and hope in? And just like we asked that question last week, and we ask right now about this obedience, am I obedient to the truth? It's real easy, I get this, to give the pat church answer. Of course I am. Of course I'm obedient. What are you talking about, preacher? I'm here today. Of course I'm obedient. You know, in my own life, it's very easy to be deceived and walk in disobedience. It's easy to give the outward impression that we're being obedient, but the heart at some point is going to reveal whether there's true obedience or perhaps an underpinning of disobedience. As I was thinking through that concept and looking here at the first part of 22, we'll call it A in your Bible, you know, Christ did so much in verses 20 and 21. He did so much. Christ did so much in 20 through 21. Look here for a moment in 22A in your Bible. Here's what else he did. This is so amazing. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Having purified, it means this to to sanctify, to make holy. That's the visual that Peter is trying to communicate. He's already said this in 20 and 21, that that your faith and your hope are rock solid. He's already said this, that, that your faith and your hope are not in your persecution that you're going through, exiled believer. Your faith and your hope are in God through Jesus. My hope is built, the song says, on nothing less, but on Jesus' blood and His righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All church, all church, all other ground is sinking sand. It's sinking sand. And then to underpin this and undergird this even more, he says, I want to explain what he does even deeper. There's a purification of your soul. You know, it's interesting that when something's purified, whether it be water or any other substrate or material, as it's being purified, there's typically a process. And the process sometimes in purification can be rough. It can be difficult. That's part of the sanctification that goes on in every true believer's life, that it's not always easy. If we really say, I want to be more like Jesus. Like, I want to be more like Him. I want to live like Him. I want to sacrifice like Him. I want to be selfless. I want to be humble. If that's you and me today, there's going to be a lot of pain in that offering. But the beauty in that is that's the life worth living. Remember, in God's economy, the way up is actually down. You win by losing, you live by dying. Dying to self. And here Peter is making this point that you're having been purified being made sacred, being made holy. How, though, is the question right here. He says this, by your obedience. The word obedience here means this, to yield to or to submit to. Now, we live in a culture today where, you know, who really wants to yield or submit to anybody, amen? I mean, it's just off the rails. You just turn on the television and the insanity is getting worse by the day. This is what happens when people rebel against truth. This is what you reap. Now, here's the great news. We know this, that the light doesn't shine the brightest where it's the brightest, but actually where it's the darkest. Amen? So the gospel witness that you and I have as you go to work, as you go to the ball field, as you go to the family reunion, wherever you're going, if you're a true believer in Christ, you've given your life to Him, the Holy Spirit indwells you as you go to all these different places You should be shining like the highest beam flashlight you could ever purchase on TV. Buy one and get a second for $19.95. Amen? I mean, it just illuminates from you. You don't have to work at it because He's just in you. 
There's an obedience in this, this yielding to, this submitting to. Here's what you learn about obedience to Christ. And also, parents, you could understand this with children. When a person truly gives their life to Christ, and again, not raise a hand, say a prayer, do a cartwheel, sign a card, get dunked, hocus pocus, I'm in the club. I'm talking about, Jesus, my life is no longer my own. Man, you take it. We're talking about biblical belief here, biblical faith, fidelity, where you give your life. It's a transfer of life, a transfer of trust. You give it to Jesus. When you and I do this, here's the beauty in this. Obeying Christ is now not a difficult thing to do. It's actually now an outflow of what you do. So many people are trying to obey Jesus. They've just never really given their lives to Him first. And there's this tug of war going on. Don't want to submit. Don't want to yield to. Certainly want Jesus to bless my plans. Get me out of the jam when I'm in trouble. But unless we yield to Him first and give our lives to Him first, we will be on a lifelong journey of a tug of war that continues to frustrate us. See, Peter is saying here, you're suffering, you're in exile, Jesus has set you free, perhaps not physically, but spiritually. Your faith and your hope are strong. Your hope, your identity, and your security is no longer wound up in this world. It's not wound up when people think about you. Your hope and your identity are wound up in Jesus because when the veil was torn, we now have direct access to the Father. And even if you have an earthly dad who... You look back on and there's painful memories. You can be the one that changes that course. You can be the one. You don't have to repeat it. You can break the cycle. You can break the curse. You can break the chain. That's why it's so important when we think about this from the obedience to the truth standpoint. And that's where he's getting at here. The aletheia. The truth of God. Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. See, it's about the truth. We live in a culture that is doing everything it can to attack the truth, to diminish the truth. Culture says we can't let the truth get out in our communities, in our schools, in our businesses. There's such this lust for power right now that let's just diminish all of that and let's keep people literally enchained and in bondage. And Jesus is over here going, I'll set you free. I'm right here. I'll give you what you're looking for. All the insecurities all the doubts and the anxieties and the worries and the fears, Jesus is like, hey, I'm right here. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Cast all your cares upon me. Like, just heave them on him right now. Like Whatever you're struggling with today, just pick up your burdens and, and heave them on Jesus. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So are you, am I, are we truthfully non-church answer? Are we really obedient to the truth? Well, here's your key number one. I want you to write this down. Key number one. A byproduct of joyfully submitting to the truth of God's Word is a soul that is purified. A byproduct, so it's a result of joyfully submitting to the truth of God's Word is a soul that is purified. Dads, it's high time that you, that I, if we're not already, that starting today, we begin to lead and we model for our homes joyfully submitting to the truth of God's Word.
So often, men, I know this and you know this, our children often will prioritize what we do, and equally, they will not prioritize what we don't. You know, when I was growing up, and that was a few years ago, I remember Sunday was Sunday. Now, Sunday was the day that we got in the car and we went to go worship Jesus. I mean, that's just what we did. Now, in our culture today, Sunday is the new Saturday. Just the new Saturday, right? It's like, we just got 19 stimulus checks. God must be pleased with us. Why don't we continue to ignore Him, right? That's kind of the logic. And you know, and you got all that's going on on Sunday morning. Cookouts and birthday parties and slumber parties and Tupperware parties and ball games. I mean, it's just one thing after another. And dads, let me challenge you and I, because I've grown up here with sons and a daughter that play sports, and we just got a rule that if you have to play a sport on Sunday, you're not playing on that Sunday. People think it might be extreme. I get it. But dads, you understand this, that less than 2% of your children or grandchildren will go on to play a professional sport. Less than 2. 2% less. But 100% of our children are going to stand face to face with Jesus. 100%. Dads, it's high time that we become the men that begin to lead. That we lead in our homes. You're the pastor. I'm the pastor in my home. It's my responsibility. I take it very seriously to lead and shepherd and pastor my family. If we don't take it seriously, someone else will be more than willing to step in and do our jobs. MTV's loving it right now, right? Social media, man, they'll love to take your kids and just drive them off a cliff. It's one of these things, guys, on this day, in this culture, that we need some Caleb's and Joshua's. It's time to have some men that rise up and say, man, I'm all in. Like, I see the mountain and I see the obstacle, but I see how big God is. And I see what He can do, that He can move the mountains. Some people wonder, what's the big deal about truth? Well, 2 Timothy says it like this. Write it down, 2 Timothy, regarding truth, chapter 4, 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living, and the dead. So, in case you're thinking, hey, I'm somehow going to squirm around this deal, there it is. And by his appearing in his kingdom. Now, here we go, verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove. Rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Here's why. Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, their own narrative. And what will they do? Here's the travesty. They will turn away from listening to the truth They'll wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, clear-headed. Endure suffering that's coming. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Did you catch these two nuggets in there, church? Preach the Word in season and out of season. It means this. When it's popular and when it's not, proclaim the truth of God's Word. You will always have opposition when you proclaim truth. It's just part of how this thing works. Think about Jesus. He's proclaiming truth everywhere he went. You get on to John chapter 6, and everyone's leaving him. He looks at those other disciples there and says, Do you want to go away too? You want to head out here? You want to abandon me? Peter pipes up, surprise, surprise, and says, Where will we go? You are the one. You are the one that has the words of life. We're not going anywhere. 
Oh, men, today I encourage me and I encourage you to be men of the cross. Be obedient to the Word. Hunger for the Word. Shepherd those precious children. Shepherd your wife. Lead her in godliness and truth. Why? Well, there it is, verse 3 of 2 Timothy 4. For the time is coming. I would argue this. The time is already here. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching all across our community, across Virginia, across the United States, here in the West. We got it so easy, but we know this. The old saying is so true. Comfort leads to collapse. Well, the more comfortable we've become here in the United States of America, the underpinning has been eroding away now for decades as we've kicked God to the curb. Oh, human life, 1973, that's really not a big deal. Yeah, let's just go ahead and execute unborn babies. And once that domino tipped over, I can see the enemy right now just laughing all the way to the bank, going, well, that was easy. One man, one woman for a lifetime. Nah, we don't think that's true. Take that one out of the Bible. Man, woman, not even sure who we are anymore. Eh, nah, I don't like that. Take that out of the Bible. This thing is unraveling at record pace. Oh men, I call you and I call me. Let's rise up and be the Caleb's and the Joshua's that when we see the obstacle, we don't see the obstacle. We just see how big our God is. There's people all over in churches today professing Jesus, but the reality is there's many that hate sound doctrine. They hate it. Why? It's too convicting. Let's go somewhere else where it doesn't convict us. Obedience is a huge deal in Scripture. It's huge. I was thinking about Ephesians chapter 6 as well. Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. Paul writes here to the church of Ephesus. You've got to remember he's in his house arrest, that imprisonment. And, and there he is. I can just see him right now going, hey, I need an object lesson. Hmm, there's a Roman guard here. Let's use this. So here's what he says in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Dads, the enemy is scheming. He's trying to get in our homes. He's at every windowsill and doorsill, and he's trying to get in. And if we're spiritually asleep at the wheel, he's coming in. He doesn't ring the doorbell and go, ding dong, I'm here, let me in. He slithers in every little crevice to get into our homes. So what do we do? We put on the whole armor of God that we can stand. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Don't miss that against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, what do we do? Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened number one with what? The belt of truth. Of all the armor that could have been listed first in this obedience to the truth question, he lists the belt of truth. Think about this. He lists the belt of truth. It's very interesting when you look here under this first key number one, when you see this Ephesians text here, he says, look, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your enemy, so to speak, at work is, is not really the enemy. It could be the enemy working in that person. You may think they're the spawn of Satan. But we don't wrestle in this temporal. There's a spiritual war raging today, men. It's raging. And it's time for me and for you to rise up and not look at the obstacles in life and see how big they are, but we just look to Jesus, and we look to God, our Heavenly Father, and look how big He is, that He can move the mountains today. But it's so easy to get enamored with the things that really don't matter in life. 
You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. So in 2 Timothy, in Ephesians, and now in Philippians, chapter 4, verse 8, here's what Paul writes in three different instances about truth. Look what he says in the first sentence of Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. Are we getting a theme here? There is zero doubt in my mind that these things just by happenstance ended up number one in these verses. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God, this was not like armor like in the medieval times. They didn't wear like armor that you're thinking of, metal armor. The Roman soldier would have this garb on. He would have a shield of faith, so to speak, or his shield, and many times it was leather. It was wet often because when the darts were lit, they were fiery. When they would actually go into the leather, they would be extinguished. The belt of truth held the entire garb together. It would wrap over. It would wrap under. When you removed the belt, you removed all the protection That's why he's pleading here. As you're standing in the battle, men and ladies today, as you're standing for truth, as you're saying, you know what, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Whatever you do, don't take off the belt of truth. Because now you've removed your armor, regardless of the helmet of salvation, but you've removed your body armor. And now you're vulnerable to the schemes and the vices and the deceptions and the darts of the enemy. Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is what noble, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think. Here's the mind again. Think on these things. Truth. Question for me and you today. Am I, are you, are we obedient to the truth? When you're a child and you're disobeying your parents, at least I can remember this, this wasn't like a deal where I had no idea I was being disobedient. I knew exactly what I was doing. I calculated the costs. What's going to be the cost here if I go down the selfish path and please the flesh versus get caught? I would weigh the consequences, and then I would, yes, make a determination if I was going to obey or disobey. So often we do the same thing in the spiritual realm. God's clearly asking us to do something or not to do something. And boy, the armor's been taken off. The belt of truth has taken a nap. The enemy's gotten in there. We've been deceived and blinded. The selfish nature rears its ugly head. And off we go. It's a pawn for the enemy. So what's the why here? What's the why? We'll look at 22B, we'll call it. 22B, for a sincere brotherly love. So the why here is for a sincere brotherly love. Think about this. Sincere, it means this, without hypocrisy. So there's a brotherly love that we're going to study here in a moment. It's going to have a different love in the same verse. But this brotherly love is that we love one another because we're brothers and sisters in Christ for those that are truly in Christ. There's a a commonality because if one person is here and another person is here and they've both given their lives to Jesus, what's really cool is the closer that this person gets to Christ and the closer that this person gets to Christ, what happens to these two people? They grow closer together. 
why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. That's why I've said it more than once, be careful who you hang out with. We tell our kids this all the time, right? And somehow as adults, it just kind of goes out the window. Does this mean we don't witness? Of course we go witness. But we're in the world, but not of it. We will become who we hang out with, period. Well, you know, they're, they're a good person. Well, I understand the argument. Well, I, I like them. Well, I like Oreos, and they're not good for me. You know what I mean? It's one of these deals where you've got to use some discernment and say, who I hang around is who I become. Question, do the people that you and I hang out with truthfully, truthfully, do they make you and I look more like Jesus? That should be the divining question of someone that you hang out with. Again, I'm not talking about witnessing. I'm talking about hanging out with, doing life with. I'm telling you, if, if you're not careful, I've seen this happen. People literally get destroyed. We must be a people and we must be believers that have a sincere, without hypocrisy, love. And that's why key number two, write this down in your notes. Key number two, a sincere brotherly love for one another is only possible from an outflow of a true union with Christ. Key number two, a sincere, without hypocrisy, brotherly love for one another is only possible from an outflow of a true union with Christ. Take two people who've truly given their lives to Christ. Often you'll see those two people and there's just something going on there because what? They're trying to outserve one another. I mean, that's the whole point. When you look here in Romans 12.10, look what it says in Romans 12.10 to support this point. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Okay, sounds good. Here we go. Outdo one another in showing honor. So in other words, this man just push people to the front. We don't need accolades. Just push people to the front. That's the whole point of, of leadership. As you're leading in your home, as you're leading at your work, as you're leading in the church, on your ball team, you push people to the front. That's what you do. That's what the Bible says. Push them to the front. The way up is down, remember? You win by losing, you live by dying. That's how this works. But so often what happens is we have insecurities and all the other things that go on in the human realm, and they get in the way. The waters get cloudy and get muddy. Instead of having brotherly love, we have a love that is contentious, which is not love in itself. That's why Philippians 2 really puts a red bow on this. Write this down, Philippians 2, 1 through 5. If, if you really want to understand what biblical love looks like, listen to what Paul writes now to the church in Philippi, chapter 2, 1 through 5. Here's what he says. So if there is any encouragement where? In Christ. So you see, church, in Christ any comfort from love, any participation where? In the Spirit, capital S, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being, here we go, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. He's mentioned the mind twice. Here we go, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, in, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Where do I get this? Where do I get it? Which is yours in Christ Jesus. When you hear someone say, I'm praying that I will have the mind of Christ, this is exactly what they're talking about. Do you see what would happen? Imagine this at your family reunion if everyone had the mind of Christ right here. Imagine at your business, your ball team, your church, the mind of Christ. Imagine what would happen as we're obedient to the truth. 
Someone once said years ago that a selfish heart, a selfish heart asks, what's in it for me? A Christ-like heart asks, what's in it for you? Just think about that. A selfish heart says, what's in it for me? I can't believe they didn't say something about what I just did. I can't believe they took my parking space. A Christ-like heart says, oh, I'm just here to serve, and if I don't get any attention, it doesn't matter because my treasure's in heaven. A Christ-like heart says, man, take my parking space. Take the last donut. I don't care. We're glad you're here. Do you see the difference? And do you see the environment that's going to be created? Do you see the culture that's going to be created? A selfish culture is very non-attractional. A humble mind of Christ culture is what the world is waiting for. And they're looking everywhere for anything to dull the pain and fill the void of life. And they're trying this addiction and that addiction and over here and over there. They're just hopping from one thing to the next. And for believers, we have the answer. It's a humble life that puts other people first. And our contentment and our joy is only in Jesus. But maybe you do. Maybe you're wanting to know how to poison any hopes of a brotherly love. Maybe that's what you're asking. Well, if you're asking how to poison any hopes of a brotherly love, just write down James 3.16. We've studied it in depth. But this is a surefire way to bring toxic poison into your home. If you're looking to bring toxic poison into your home, here it is. For we're jealousy... And selfish ambition exists, there will be, here we go, disorder and every vile practice. There you go. So where there's jealousy, where there's selfish ambition, we've just now signed up, we've signed the card that now what's going to happen, there's going to be chaos. Just look at America. Look at the selfishness across America today. And what do we have? We have total insanity all over our country. Every vile practice, the deception, the godlessness, the people that just hate Jesus, some of the things I've seen and the vulgarities that they say about my Lord. This is what's going to happen. He warned us. People will hate you, he said, because of me. That's what Jesus said. So dads, on this day, what, what must we do? What must we do? Well, here's the resulting command, as we must lead in this. Guys, I'm telling you, as the man goes, so goes the home, the church, and the nation. We're called to lead. And right here it is, 22C, we'll call it. Love one another, how? Earnestly, from a pure heart. Love one another earnestly. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but two things. So this is a command, not a suggestion. Not if you get around to it, but this is a command. This is how we're to love one another. But number two, did you see this? I don't know if you did. But, but no one has to teach me. I'll use myself as this example because it's true. No one has to teach me to be selfish. Like, I got that concept mastered. I got an A plus in that class. I came out of the womb kicking and screaming. Me, 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 and more me. But the reality is every human struggles with selfishness to some degree. That's why he says this here. Love one another earnestly. The earnestly means this, fervently, with passion, intentionally, and urgently. So you just don't stumble into this. Man, this is amazing. Our, Our family reunion was just incredible. It was phenomenal. Everyone was on the beach in their white garments, and this time when they were smiling, it actually was true. How did that happen? We just stumbled into all this. No, you didn't. You don't stumble into this stuff. It's an earnest life that says, I have union with Christ, and everything's going to be an outflow. And if you're here today and you have never given your life to Christ, you have signed up for a journey of everything you do being outflow of self. Everything you do is an outflow of self. 
But if you've given your life to Christ, everything's an outflow of Jesus. So often we're asking people to behave like Christians who are not actually Christians. It's really hard to do. That's why we must have a brotherly love, a love that's rooted and grounded and built up in Him as we obey the truth. And that's why our key number three, here it is, key number three, write this down. As we profess to love one another, we must always examine our motives. Key number three, as we profess to love one another, we must always examine our motives. I mean, do you see the outflow here, church, in this verse? Just look at that verse. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I mean, you could just sum all this up when I'm looking at the verse right now. Here you go. We're going to obey the Lord out of a fervent love for Him. Our souls are purified. Our souls are deeper in Him as there's now a sincere brotherly love for others that is earnest. And yes, oh, by the way, it originates from a heart that's pure. But it's the outflow. But what does it look like in Scripture? I'm sure you're wondering. Well, what does it look like in Scripture? Give me some some meat to to sink the, the teeth into, you might say. Well, write down John 13. John 13, if you're looking to become a a servant leader wherever you are, work, home, business, ball team, church, whatever it is, if you're looking to be a servant leader wherever you go, you have to read John 13. Here's Jesus, comes on the scene. King Jesus, got a bunch of disciples, ragtag bunch, not seminary presidents, not mega church pastors, just a bad news bears. And he collected these guys together. Here he goes towards the cross and he begins to wash their feet. Now, this is something you just don't do, especially if you're a king. But you've got to remember, the way up is down. You win by losing, you live by dying. And so here, here's what he says in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you. Did you notice this? He didn't say a new suggestion I give to you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Do you see the model? You also are to love one another. By this, 35, all people will know that you are my disciples if you do what? If you love, if you have love for one another. This is very interesting because Peter first used the word love in the Philadelphia sense of the brotherly love. And now on the back end, he uses the word agape or the form of agape, which means what a godly love. It's a true, pure love. Here's what the love is. It's I love you not because of what you do for me. I love you in spite of what you do to me. Wow. Where do you get that love from? Well, John just told us, it's from the guy who hung on the cross. It's the guy who was butchered and executed. But he hangs there and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His name's Jesus. His name's Jesus. His name's Jesus. Matthew says it like this, Matthew 23 Later, read on your own that whole chapter. I'd encourage you if you're curious about what Jesus thinks about Pharisees. In 23, 11 through 12, he, he kind of comes off the top rope, so to speak, with an elbow. And here's what he says. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Wow. Huh. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I was given some advice many years ago, and unfortunately I have not always heeded it. But the advice I was given was, be humble on your own, or God will humble you. What great advice from Scripture. That God opposes the proud. And by the way, you know, we often just think of proud of you know, beating the chest like Tarzan, right? I'm the best, I'm the baddest. We can be very quiet and be very prideful. And pridefulness is just not arrogance, but it, it indulges itself in self-pity. 
Why? Because pridefulness is all about me. And the Bible screams it's all about Jesus. And as you think through that thought, God says, that's why I'm going to go to war against you. And dads, for you that in your home, if you're modeling pridefulness, here's what you've signed up for. You've said, God, I'm going to war against you. Now, who's going to win that battle? That's why this is so mission critical. There's such a seriousness here. The day is drawing nigh. There's no doubt in my mind the day is drawing nigh. We are, we are in perilous days, to say it lightly. And we need some Caleb's and some Joshua's all over this community to rise up and say, I see the obstacles, I see the challenges, I see the difficulties, but I see how big Jesus is. And I'm going to be determined, I'm going to be determined to, just to love Him and to, to know Him and Him crucified all the days of my life. What a day that will be for that person who truly surrenders. But here's the deal, here's the warning. If we do not guard our hearts and examine our motives, take it from personal experience, you will become a pawn in the enemy's hand. It's so easy to raise a hand for Jesus on this hand and be deceived and work for the enemy on this one. Why? Because we get out from under the truth. Any person that has trouble with submitting to authority is going to have a whole big, difficult time submitting to God. It's not going to get any easier. I mean, any person that has difficulty submitting to authority, it's going to be a real struggle submitting to God. That's the whole point. The whole Bible can be summed up with this, that when you look at the gospel, this great news, this good news, as one person said, it's only good news if it gets there on time. And for that to be good news, it's got to be bad news. There's some horrible news out there, and it's this, that if I don't give my life to Jesus, if it's not real, if it's not true, if it's a charade, if it's phony, if it's a baloney, it may look good from the outside, but the reality is I'm eternally lost. That's bad news. But the good news is that Jesus came. That's the good news, amen? That's the great news. There's no greater news today. I don't know where you're looking to move or drive or bank account or sailboat or, or beach house or whatever you think. If I just get there, let me tell you this. There is no greater news, none, zero, than giving your life to Jesus. And yet so many people, I believe, have made a profession but their heart's never truly been transformed. So here's the warning if we don't examine ourselves. Psalm 55.21, this is what it's going to look like. The deception, Psalm 55.21. His speech was smooth as butter. If you're from the northeast, you might say butter. Yet war was in his heart. Did you catch that? Let me read this again. His speech was as smooth as butter. Yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil. Yet they were drawn with swords. With the motive of the heart, if we're not careful, dads, our wives and children can begin to emulate how we operate. That's why the takeaway question has already been asked, but we'll ask it again. And it's simply this Do I daily seek to be obedient to the truth of God's word? Do you get up every morning? I want to be obedient. I want to be obedient. I don't want to live in disobedience. Do you seek it? Do you crave it? Do you hunger for it? I pray that you do because we need some Caleb's and some Joshua's.
that will stand up and not look at how big the obstacles are. They'll just look and say, look how big my God is. That's who we need. Well, here are the action steps. Seven action steps to a life of fully devoted obedience to Christ. Seven action steps to a life of fully devoted obedience to Christ. I tried to pick a biblical number. Be grateful it wasn't 12 or 40. Amen? Number one, daily fear God. Dads, imagine what would happen if you and I began to daily, holy on reverence God in your house. Imagine what would happen. Daily abide, anchor to the true vine Jesus. Just daily press into Him. Daily pray fervently. I mean pray hard. Begin to pray. Be a prayer warrior for Christ. Daily marinate in the Word. Something I'm doing now, just a, a quick point that you might try. But So when I go to sleep at night, uh, right before I close my eyes, I look at a Scripture. Grab your phone or your paper Bible. I look at a Scripture and I, I quickly memorize it and then I close my eyes. Every time I do this as God is my witness, the first thing I think about is that Scripture when I wake up. First time. Everything I think about. Boom. It was written on my heart and my mind when I went to sleep. I marinated on it. And I woke up with the praises of our God through His Word. Number five, what we talked about today, daily serve others. Daily serve others. Just die empty of self. It's no longer I but Christ. Just die empty of self. Serve others. Wanting no credit, no fanfare. Just go serve. You'll be so blessed. You will be so blessed. It's going to be amazing. Number six, tenaciously guard Sunday mornings. Dads, we talked about this. Don't allow Sunday to become the new Saturday. Don't allow it. Just draw a line in the sand. Say, man, we're committed. We're going to be in the house of the Lord. We're going to worship. We're going to be engaged. Not just spectators. We're going to be engaged. We're going to grow in the Word. Grow in the Lord. Grow to one another and with one another. We're going to grow in that one anotherness, if you will. Be that man that says, oh, as for me and my house, we're going to serve Jesus. Guard tenaciously. I can't say this enough Sunday mornings. Block that out. God's going to bless when you put Him first. Your family is going to thank you. You see these documentaries all the time, right? And, you know, so-and-so star, and they went on to, you know, make a gazillion dollars and travel all over the world and do all these things. And sure enough, every one of these documentaries I've seen, here's the whole narrative in the story. Their families and shambles. From the outside, us normal people go, man, that must be amazing, right? That's what we do. Well, that must be amazing. Well, I wish I had that. wish I lived there. wish I drove that. wish I could fly in that jet airplane or whatever. It's not all it's cracked up to be. The life worth living is the obedient, humble life, surrendered life to Christ. And don't miss this, dads. Don't miss this. When God calls you, when He calls you, when He calls you to be a dad, the greatest gift you can give your children is to lead like Jesus. There's nothing greater. The trophies are all going to tarnish. It's all going to fade away. In 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, you and I, dads, we got to look in the mirror. And we got to face that man in the mirror. And I pray for me and all my sin and my baggage and my shame and all that God is still working on my life and He's pruning and He's squeezing and He's taking me like a sponge and getting just rid of me and more of Him and less of me as I go through that process. Guys, I pray you're going through it as well because, man, I want to look at the end of my life. I want to see my family. I want to see them that, hey, you know what? Uh, we didn't have everything this life offered, but we had the most important thing and His name was Jesus. And it's just so easy to just get distracted, isn't it? Oh, I pray. I pray, dads, that we'll lead today in obedience to the truth of God's Word. Amen. And so, Lord, as we come before You seeking You, hungering for You, 
desiring you, craving you, longing for you. God, I pray would you raise up Caleb's and Joshua's all over our country. Men of the cross. Men that are determined that when no one else will step onto the battlefield, their answer is simply, send me, send me. Oh God, I pray, would you do a work? Do a work in my heart today. Don't allow the schemes of the enemy to have any foothold here, God, but I pray that we'd be all about your truth, all about your glory, all about disciples, all about evangelism, looking away from self and spreading the ultimate message that will set the captives free. Oh God, we give this time to you as we worship you. And perhaps there's one here today that's never truly given their life to you. Maybe they've been in church all of their life, God. But the reality is they still hang on to their life. Oh God, I pray, would you move and move in power today? Help that dad that needs to repent to step out today and model what repentance looks like. As was once said, it's failure itself is not the issue. It's what we do next that matters. Help that dad today to just simply humble himself and lead a a life that honors you. I pray that his children and wife will be greatly blessed as he obeys you. Oh, we give this time to you. It's not our time, God. It's yours. And we pray this all in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.